All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Ball and Breakfast podcast. I'm Patrick Miller alongside Wayne Pua. Uh, it's been a while since we've we've gone live. Um, you know, hopefully you've watched our recent content. We've done a lot of basketball recently, um, as well as kind of covering baseball and you know what we've been seeing as far as the you know MVP candidates. Uh, you know, those with really nice advanced metrics. Really, how the game is evaluated today, even how it's played. Um, if you haven't caught that one, go back and. You know, give it a listen, give it a watch uh, wherever you're at. You know, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify. You're know, really making waves over in the UK still, you know, hoping that our, our audience is as glued as, as we want them to be. Uh, we're also on YouTube if you want to sit back and relax, uh, you know, late night, grab a drink with us and, and listen in. Um, you know, and after that, go on Instagram as well. We post pictures, we post, you know, reels, videos um, of everything that we're doing here. Um, you know, give us a follow wherever you're at, a like, a comment. You know, we always appreciate your feedback and we'll, you know, kind of incorporate it into the show with whatever you give us. So um, those are the plugs. Um, you know, as far as today goes, we got a little basketball, a little baseball on our plate. Uh, but first, I wanted to uh, share some news outside of sports. Uh, you know, I, I saw a CNN article yesterday that said the uh, the Choco Taco is now being, you know, it, it's being discontinued from the Klondike, Klondike line of ice cream bars. And, uh, you know, inside I cried a little bit. I think uh, I think the 13 to 15-year-old me just, like, seriously had a good cry because that was seriously such an awesome ice cream dessert and, you know, really radical and out there. But uh, just to know that it got discontinued when you, you know, walk through the supermarket and you kind of see all the things that, you know, good humor Klondike still put on the shelves, like, how could that possibly have been taken off? The shelf, Wayne. I don't know if you caught that news, but uh, did you have any thoughts? Yeah, it's the end of the world. Uh, I think that's seriously <laughs> like that's it. That's it. We're done here. You know, we had a good run. Uh, the dinosaurs couldn't <laughs> take it. Uh, you know, hey, if you can't get the Chaco, we're done. Okay, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Cheers to that, though. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Chaco Taco. Uh, we will never forget about you. Um, you know, probably the third most popular taco after Taco Bell and maybe Taco Fall. I think Chaco Taco comes in third there. But uh, no, just just crazy, man. I don't know. I just feel like every time I, I look at the news, it's like the the world's like you know, like you said, Wayne, kind of kind of slowly dying on us as we as we go forward here but uh you know maybe if we make it to space uh you know at some point sooner and establish civilization maybe the choco taco will come with us but uh you know anyways wanted to transition into some sports here uh you know the kd summer is still upon us you know we i feel like this has been kind of a dragged out for weeks now um just trade rumors from all sides of the nba all, all teams coast to coast and uh I guess the latest one that came up was the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, reading into some of the reports, it seems like this could have started a while back between the two teams, but didn't really start to percolate till this week. I don't know if the Nets were the ones to kind of, uh, you know, bark up the Boston Celtics tree. But in the same sense, it seemed like both sides were pretty far apart on what's a, what's considered a fair deal between the two sides. I think that, I think Boston was the first to maybe maybe dangle Jalen Brown out there with, you know, pick and a, a pick and a player. Um, you know, Brooklyn's kind of still standing on their throne saying, you know, we want the absolute world for the best, you know, what they consider is the best player in the NBA. That that includes Brown and about three or four starters and, you know, three to however many picks, you know, to boot. So 
Wayne, do you want to just kick it off and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tell me what you heard or, you know, what you're kind of thinking as far as, uh, you know, th- this trade scenario goes and, uh, you know, whether or not this would be good for Brooklyn or, or good for Boston if, uh, if if whatever trade happens to land that uh, involves Kevin Durant and probably Jalen Brown at the very least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick, if I'm not mistaken, which you know, for one of the best players in the NBA and of our generation, like then you're combining Durant and Tatum, uh, who I, I think during like the Olympics, uh, Durant was kind of like grooming uh, Tatum. Uh, probably shouldn't use the word grooming these days, but uh, <laughs> grooming Tatum to be uh, uh, kind of like the next heir apparent for the next generation of NBA talent out there via the Olympics. So uh I, I think that this could be this could potentially be a good trade. I think for for Boston if they were to go this route, you know, uh, I know Durant's like going to be thirty four, I believe, or if he if he's not already, so he's he probably has only a couple years left right now. But you know, if they want to be competing against uh, the the Warriors, they need that extra person to just kind of take things off. And what better vengeance would you rather have for Kevin Durant, right? Uh, than to take out the Warriors in the NBA Finals, uh, if if they can get there. Um, you know, they do have Malcolm Brogdon now, so they, they do have that point guard that they really needed uh, in the in this previous uh, NBA Finals. So I think it's it could be a good, potentially a good good or great trade for the Celtics. Um, I almost think that uh, from the Nets standpoint, it's like, oh, is that kind of all you can get uh, after this whole – Rudy Gobert Hall. I mean, I I get like Rudy Gobert had, uh, you know, that contract and everything had several years on it. So I get all that, but that was a large haul. So, uh, you know, but hey, if you can get a nice talent like Jalen Brown, um, you know, at the same time for Jalen Brown, it's like he kind of has not not necessarily hit his peak, but you're like, how better can he get exactly? Uh, so you know. He's a nice complimentary piece. Uh, that number two, you know, uh, the more of the sidekick type of speed uh, kind of player, but uh, really talented, great defender. Uh, you want him in your locker room, very much a locker room type of person. So, uh, with all that being said, I think this could be a great trade for Boston if they can get it done. Uh, that would be a, that would be a sweet deal. So, but yeah, what are your thoughts? So before I go into my thoughts, I just ask then. What is it going to take? Let me know what the trade is for you in terms of, okay, Brooklyn goes crazy. They want the moon. Boston wants to kind of low ball to start off with. Where does this land and kind of, kind of frame that a little bit so that there's maybe like a, you know, level playing field. We could, you know, assess what, what the trade might mean for oh. both squads. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, if I'm looking at Sean's uh, offer, uh, it was yeah, Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick, which I'm like, that better be like the number one draft pick if that's gonna be the draft pick. Cause uh yeah, I would I would assume it would be all those players and then it's several draft picks, you know, if they can get some first rounders in there. Um, which I think the C's are pretty well equipped with with a lot of that. So uh if that's possible, then yeah, like I that could be a reasonable one, but you know, if they can toss in, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, Grant Williams in there or something like that, or hey, maybe we can get Robert. Uh, that would be something. Uh, but I don't know if the Celtics are willing to do that. But at the same time, you're if you want Kevin Durant, give me show me the money. So 
I think if they can get another young piece in there or another, you know, several draft picks more, uh, that could be something to consider, honestly. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I think the one thing is that um, it seems it sounds like Kevin Durant wants out more so. So he's already shown his hand. So the Nets are kind of, I don't want to say, I guess they kind of lose a little bit of leverage there. So the Celtics are like, all right, well, we're just going to like give you whatever talent. And then, hey, we'll see what, 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 you know, who's offering you a player like a Jalen Brown, right? Um, I think that's one, something to consider there. So, you know, from the Celtics standpoint, it's nice that Kevin Durant's been like, hey, I want to get out of here. Uh, Cause then that shows the cards and it lowers the leverage a little bit there. So, um, but yeah, if they can get, uh, Robert Williams or some other younger talent that the Celtics have with, you know, some player with some upside there. Um, and, you know, maybe another draft pick or two. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think that should be something to, to consider uh, given the circumstances. Yeah. So I think the first thing when I saw the Nets uh, counter proposal and it was like basically the Celtics starting five minus Tatum and then like a bunch of picks. I was like, okay, they're not being serious. And I think they're still at that point where they're they're just bluffing. They're just like, yeah, here's our hand. Uh, you know, like it, it's kind of like they're just goading all the teams in the league. You see, like, okay, are they gonna make a just a bonehead decision here? If they do, we say yes. If not, we're just let's just wait till camp and try to get Durant back in, kind of let him know we we exhausted all avenues and like we really couldn't find a deal like they did with Kobe Bryant back when he was on the Lakers, that whole, you know, bull scenario. So I, I kind of feel like that's part one of my thinking is like they're probably just going to play around unless they really get the boat. Um, otherwise, they'll just roll the dice and see if they can get Katie Kyrie back in for one more season. You, know, you got Simmons there. You got, you know, Curry. You got Joe Harris. You've got, you know, Claxton. Um, you just, you know, traded for Royce O'Neal. It's like they've got they've got some pieces there. They, you know, if everyone was actually serious, I mean, that's a serious, that's a serious team. That's a, that's a real, that's a real basketball team right there, but it's part of the problem. That's been part of the problem. So I guess with this scenario, when I thought about it, I guess my first question is kind of like, it's going to go along with my thinking, but how many picks do you honestly think Donovan Mitchell's worth? If you're talking first round picks, just, just straight up, no players involved, just Donovan Mitchell. Let's say it's to the Knicks. How many picks, first round picks is he worth to you? Yeah, he's probably worth like at least like three, right? I think that's like the going rate. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what his contract necessarily is, but I'm assuming he has like a year or two or something like that, I believe. So um yeah. if that so if that is the case, then yeah, probably like three three first rounders there. Um yeah. Yeah. Cause because to me, that's that's the apples to apples com- uh, comparison. When I think of like what shelf do I think is is Jalen Brown on on a championship team? He's your number two, and so would a Donovan Mitchell. Because Donovan Mitchell's not, you know, he's not bringing players to Utah. I mean, I mean, Utah's Utah, but you know, I love Utah. But I'm just saying, uh, mm-hmm. for the NBA, that's probably one of the last destinations guys I want to go to. But right. I kind of put those guys on equal playing field. So when you're thinking about a Brown deal, you got to think like all right, this guy's worth, you know, three or four on the open market. So I think to me, a fair deal, once they all sit down and really talk about this, if it really happens, I mean, it might involve the Williams bros too. I mean, it might be Grant and Robert with Jalen Brown, maybe a pick, maybe an extra pick, but those picks aren't going to be worth anything anyway, if you get Kevin Durant back. So it's like, you know, to me, it's just, uh, that's kind of where that scenario would land to me. Um, and if I'm Brooklyn and I really just know that Kevin Durant is completely out, um, then, you know, I might, I might be hard pressed to not take that deal. I think that that might be a fair deal. 
um, you know, you swallow it and, you know, kind of move forward with the squad that you have. Um, you know, on the flip side of it, Boston, if they could have, let's say, a starting five of Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Jason Tatum, you know, you still got Marcus Smart there. You bring in Kevin Durant, uh, you got Al Horford. You got a very veteran squad now, um, you know, Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. Like, that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, I, th- I still think they might need to sign a couple more guys. But, you know, in general, I think that's a really good core to work with in year one of the new Boston team. But then, like, I want to take it an extra step because it comes down to, again, like, what is KD actually worth now? Um, I think that's a different question than what can he actually get on the open market um, and how many, you know, how people would value, you know, let's say one to maybe two great seasons of KD. Um, You know, to me, I guess I started looking around just for my own, you know, my own fun, my own interests. I was looking at three other players that we know very well. We know LeBron James. and, you know, looking at LeBron from age 34 on, he's averaged 55 games a year over four years. You know, I looked at Michael Jordan um, at 34 years old. He played 82 full games. He retired for three seasons, came back as a wizard, played 60, and then miraculously played 82. So I tip my cap to him, even though it was more or less like, you know, just a renaissance year and, you know, kind of tipping his cap on his way out. Um, and then I looked at Kobe Bryant. Um, Last four seasons at 34, he played 78 games, followed by 6, 35, and 66. So I know we get enamored with the idea of adding Kevin Durant to your nucleus, especially if you're a team like Boston who's right at the doorstep. I don't know. For me, I, I don't know why Boston thinks that they need to they need to like take that red pill and just, and just try to, and just try to do it because mm-hmm. you know you and I can go back and forth or on and on about KD and, and whether or not he can deliver championships. And I guess the only two that we've seen him win, you kind of, I would call that more or less like a two Olympic medals because that team was like, you know, juggernaut. It was ridiculous. It was completely unfair. Um, so it's just really tough for me to say like the Boston Celtics are better off with Kevin Durant than Jalen Brown plus A, B, C, and then future stuff. Because, man, you you know, you look at what the Celtics did, and it's like they were right there. I mean, they were right there with the Golden State Warriors until, you know, Curry just got hot and they, you know, choked a little bit. But uh, you bring all that back with, you know, the future ahead of you, and, you know, you'd like to think that Brown would be interested in extending and Tatum would like to stay with Brown and, you know, look at the other parts of that nucleus when you've got, you know, Robert Williams, obviously we just talked about, you know, Grant Williams, uh, you brought in Brogdon, you got Marcus Smart for how many more seasons. It's just kind of like, it's too good to like, want to just kind of zag a little bit, but, but what do you think of, uh, yeah. of any of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that they could potentially be doing is just trying to up the cost, uh, you know, with, uh, <laughs> Uh, with Kevin Durant's like, hey, maybe we're just gonna screw around, see what happens. But I, I think Jalen Brown is a little bit pissed off. He's like, wait, what's happening? Wait, what's <laughs> happening? Am I on the block? So, um, you know, uh, I, I I think like if you're an executive, you're gonna hear him out and say like, hey, maybe we can get him on cheap, right? If that's the case. That's the case. But it sounds like you know there's probably gonna be a haul, uh, or at least the Nets, the Nets are trying to hope for. So. Um, but maybe they are, maybe they're honestly just kind of playing chicken with both Kyrie and Kevin in a way. It's like, Hey, you want to go? Uh, well, 
we got you on Gunner contract. So, uh, and we're just going to BS around. Um, so, you know, if that's the way that the Nets want to go, hey, go for it. You just have Ben Simmons on your team too. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that they're trying to figure out, just probably test, see what they can get for Kevin Durant if there is the opportunity to do that. If it's like, hey, maybe we do get rid of Jalen Brown, that is something. But yeah, that would be unfortunate to hear though, because, you know, like those two, uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown, like they're just, they're like two of the best wings that are like, you know, young players in the NBA. And, you really want to see them kind of just mold and you know hopefully win like a championship in their in their careers. So um, you know it would be interesting to see uh, at least for the toxic, but you know maybe they are just trying to mess around with the league and see what they can get. So yeah, so I think you know I think they're definitely doing what you're saying. They're trying to get as much uh, you know get as many chips on the table as possible from other teams to kind of gauge his value, and then you know at a certain point they might have to just bite the bullet if he's you know, really reluctant to come into camp or something like that. Or, you know, uh, maybe they just wait till, you know, the all-star break, maybe the trade deadline, maybe they can say like, Hey, do you want to give it a shot for half a year and see how it goes? Something like that. But, you know, I think from the Nets perspective, they've put so much time and effort into getting those guys together that, you know, there's probably a huge part of them just wants to see this out. Yeah, for sure. I think they just want to get it done. See, move on from this, uh, it's like how many athletes don't want to play for us right now? I, I feel like they're kind of running into that right now. And I, I think they're just kind of wanting to see what they can get, put out, put out, uh, see what offers they can get. And, uh, you know, Hey, if, uh, if, if they don't have to necessarily trade Kevin Durant, but obviously Kevin Durant is one of the best players and uh, can definitely try to, uh, you know, play the, the political game of trying to get him out of there. But at the same time, you know, the Nets do hold some cards with regards to, uh, you know, they have him on under contract and they have, uh, you know, the rights to him. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what they're going. Uh, but who knows? Maybe there is a trade that they're like, yeah, we'll definitely jump on. So, yeah, I think if it ends up Boston staying, standing pat, um, you know, maybe Boston can just wait for somebody else to get free in the coming years and just add to that core. Cause I mean, if, if you've got one more, you know, great piece to go along with the Tatum and Brown, I mean, I mean, that's, that's pretty much game over for the next, you know, maybe it's like a, you know, the next five year window or something like that when some of these other teams, uh, you know, or players clear out, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, from the net side too, if they do happen to, you know, swing that and land Jalen Brown with a, you know, mix of other picks and players and stuff, I don't think that the nets would just, des- you know, necessarily be dead in the water. It wouldn't be like a rebuild situation for me. It's more like a retool and uh, you know, reload in a little bit of a way. Yeah, for sure. Um Speaking of like, I guess, uh, yeah, reloading and all that, because uh, of how the Golden State Warriors uh, reloaded after trading Kevin Durant. Actually, uh, I know Curry, Steph Curry, was talking about um, kind of where the 2017 Dubs uh, stacked with the, with regards to the other uh, notable teams out there. With I think the 01 Lakers and then uh, the '96 Bulls. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on what. Curry's talking about over here is this is this a fallacy over here or is he just uh, is he stating facts ah man this one was kind of hard for me because um you know these are two super super loaded teams especially for their own eras and their own rights they were definitely the teams of their time um yeah I think what Curry was quoted as saying was that the 17 Warriors would beat the 01 Lakers because 
you know, three is greater than two. And, you know, they basically outnumber uh, the Lakers in terms of their ability to score. Um, you know, I think the the common denominator here is uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, you know, who's guarding him? You know, what are they actually going to do with him? And, you know, n- no uh, discredit to Kobe Bryant. But, um, yeah, I guess I guess that's the style of play from from that Lakers, you know, three-peat that was just so – you know, unstoppable was the fact that you just had that anchor down low who was just could push his weight around, could score, um, you know, can, you know, kind of command so much attention that, you know, he did, he did allow Kobe to, you know, freely play his game too. And, you know, Kobe is on the shelf of Michael Jordan. It's not like he's, you know, uh, you know, not, but, uh, yeah, I don't, this one's rough. This one's really tough for me because, you know, you got Steve Kerr, you got, you know, Phil Jackson going head to head. They're both from the same culture. They're both cut from the same cloth. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, for teams that have beaten Shaq and, you know, for as great as Shaq was, the only one four titles. So you got to think there was always a way to neutralize that guy uh, for teams that had. So I think that if Kerr could find some sort of way to kind of create the, you know, the hack of Shaq in today's era, I mean, just from a scoring side, you know, if the defense could shore up from Golden State, that that's scoring with Kevin Durant, uh, Clay, and Steph. I mean, that'd be insane. And like Draymond does a lot of the intangibles too. He's kind of like your modern day, you know, Dennis Rodman in a sort of way. Um, man, I- I'm pressed right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think part of me just wants to say the 17 dubs. So I'm going to go 17 dubs, but, uh, but what do you yeah. think? Yeah, no, it, I, I think they are probably the most talented team, uh, you know, with, with just the amount of obviously talent that they have. It's just, you know, they have basically four hall of famers there in their primes. Right. You know, if you want to debate Draymond as a hall of famer, uh, we, you know, we could, but obviously he's just a super important piece in that, uh, and that roster definitely for the modern NBA. So he has a, a lot of uh, kind of, you know, he's the garbage man basically of all, you know, and how he fits into the rest of the roster with Clay Thompson and Curry and Durant. So if that's the case, um, yeah, let him guard, uh, you know, uh, or hack a shack as much a shack in that sense. So if we want to go that route, um, I do remember though, that I remember the Kings would, I guess I want to say it kind of neutralized Shaq in the pick and roll because Shaq never came up to the top of the key in the pick and roll. And I know Mike Bibby uh, would oftentimes go after that. Um, and that's, that's how they were able to, you know, take, take uh, the Lakers to game sevens basically with Bibby uh, doing some uh, pick and rolls there with Shaq uh, not coming up to the top of the key to defend Bibby up there. So, you know, if that's the case uh, with Steph Curry, <laughs> you know, I, I would definitely think that that could that would be definitely a matchup uh, hell for for them. Um, obviously, nobody's going to really stop Shaq. Uh, they're just going to you know chuck it to him down low with regards to that. But, you know, it's definitely one of those. It's a different era, different game. But, yeah, I would have to definitely go you know, if it's between the, the 0-1 Lakers with Kobe, Rick Fox, Robert Ory, that whole crew. Uh, versus the Warriors, I would definitely have to go with the Warriors just because of all the matchup issues that they have there. Um, uh, yeah, so that's probably who I would pick. Uh, 96 Bulls, though. Oh, man. 
that's... just for the record too, Steph never said 96 Bulls. I just threw it in there because oh, we're okay, from Chicago. Okay. So I was got like, it, okay, we're from Chicago. Let's talk about this. But, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know if you wanted to kick that one off or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be a fun matchup for sure. Like, I don't know how. Well, first off, you know, it, it's it's a different era, right? So it's always hard to compare and all that and all that different styles. You know, they weren't shooting as many threes back then. So it's really hard to compare all that. That being said, that's no fun. So let's compare. Um, you know, I think that the the 96 Bulls, it's ho- always hard to beat Jordan. Who's going to guard Jordan? Are they going to put Duran on? They're going to put a Clay. Clay's a really good defender, but definitely not going to be able to stop Jordan in that aspect because it had that uh, athleticism, I don't think, to like, slow him down there. Uh, you know, Scotty Pippen on Durant, that, that would be a fun matchup. You know, one of the best perimeter defenders of all time going against Durant, uh, nice and long. So is Durant. So if we can hopefully contend him there. Um, Draymond and, and, and Rodman, that's what that'll be a fun group, uh, or fun pairing for sure. I, I feel like World War Three would, uh, uh, occur during between those two. Um, and then, yeah, Steph and, uh, you know, Ron Harper and uh, uh, Steve Kerr. <laughs> I mean, that'd be funny coaching and, and playing at the same time, right? But, um, yeah, I, it would be interesting to see if Ron Harper – or they actually might put Pippen on Curry. I don't know if you might go that route. but uh, And then maybe put Rodman on Durant. That, that could be an interesting matchup. So, uh, But the one thing about the Bulls, 96 Bulls, is that they had length, they had athleticism. You know, they attacked on the defensive end. So, you know, they would definitely, you know, again, who's, uh, which era's rules are we playing by, right? Are we playing the 90s or playing 2000s? Because the Bulls were designed for the 90s basketball. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, Warriors were designed definitely uh, for the modern day NBA. So, um, but I would definitely go for the Bulls, maybe more so of the. wishful thinking sense but if i were to bet though it's hard to beat that warrior squad though so yeah man yeah and i hate to do it i i I feel like what you said though on the defensive side is 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 right because you got you know from harper down to rodman at the one to four all those guys were around the same height all you know same athletic build very switchable i love that part of the bulls you know defense it was like one through four they could always switch off screens and they'd basically be the same defender um you know, down low, they were pretty, pretty weak. Uh, same with the Warriors, though, at that time. I feel like it was Zaza Pachulia was like their go-to center. Uh, if they didn't put in the death lineup, you know, and we forgot to mention, you know, Andre Guadala and, you know, some of the bench depth they have. I think definitely, you know, I don't, I didn't love the Lakers depth, even in the starting lineup. I thought, you know, Fox and Fisher are pretty, pretty replaceable. But um, this one's really tough for me because, you know, <laughs> Again, we're talking we're talking Jordan, Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, who, you know, is a Hall of Famer. Tony Kukoc is a Hall of Famer. Um Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr off the bench, like, you know, against his against himself as coach. Like, how fun <laughs> would that be? You know, giving like giving the coach the death eye after he hits a big three for the Bulls. Um Yeah, this one's uh this one's tough. What I think about it, I guess, is the Bulls, you know, they played, I think, the Sonics to six games. 
and I think they played Utah twice to six games. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if they ever went to seven with any of those teams. No. no. It's just like, you know, if, if those are six-game series and they're a pretty tough series, you know, all throughout their second 3P, which is I think their better, their better core, the Warriors are way better than Malone and Stockton's Jazz and Kemp and Peyton's Sonics, even with Detlef Shrimp or, you know, Jeff Hornacek, if you want to bring them in for the Jazz. But it's like, it is a different era, you know, when we kind of moved into the, you know, um, 21st century. But, uh, you know, just to, just to have Kevin Durant tack on to a team that already won a championship, I mean, it, it really is it's starting to get unfair. You know, that's that's why I kind of compared, you know, Durant's rings to Olympic gold medals because, you know, short, short a real center that, I mean, I would take any of those guys in a first team, second team situation for all the NBA, you know, in their primes. So, yeah, I got to give the nod. Unfortunately, this is blasphemous for our podcast and for, you know, our people in Chicago, but I got to go Golden State. And I feel really bad about saying that, but, um, you know, Jordan's still, to me, the greatest player of all time. But, uh, yeah, yeah I got to give the edge here to the Dubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, if it was like, yeah, like their team versus their team, like uh, during those times, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe if it's like pick them or uh, pick up basketball or something like that, that would be a fun thing, just kind of neutralize it. But, um, you know, I was looking at some of the, the stats, kind of the playoffs and how they were uh, – and, and how they compared, you know, the the Warriors only lost one game in the entire playoffs uh, to, to to the Cavs in the finals. Like that was it. They swept up. They swept the entire Western Conference. So Jesus, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the Bulls? I mean, they lost to the Knicks once. Uh, that was actually their only Eastern Conference loss. Uh, and then they lost twice to the SuperSonics. So, um, yeah, and I mean that SuperSonics team was definitely talented, but definitely not as talented as uh, you know the the Warriors are. Uh, and they didn't have LeBron too, so it's it really is kind of hard to compare that in that sense. But um, you know, the Bulls did win seventy two games. They uh, won seventy two games and won the championship, not seventy three and no chips. So uh, I, I definitely, you know, in terms of I guess the OR or how they look on in terms of the historical level, I would say the Bulls. Maybe there's a little bit of bias there. Uh, I look a little more favorably in terms of what they accomplished. But in terms of overall sheer talent and you know all the Hall of Famers and everything that are on uh, that were on the Warriors team, it's hard to go against the Warriors and what they were what, what they were able to accomplish as well. So yeah, yeah. The real hard one in this whole debate was was Shaquille O'Neal because in his heyday, you know whoever you're pairing with, it's like. How are you going to neutralize that guy? Because Steph Curry on pick and rolls. <laughs> I mean, offensively, yeah. I mean, you'd have to just it'd be a barrage of three pointers and um, you know, quick twos and just good ball movement, which is what the Golden State Warriors were and have been all about. So it's like, yeah, they'd have to really outgun them in that kind of series. But uh, yeah, again, no slight to Jordan. I guess um, I just feel like they're a little bit outmanned. Uh, I'm seriously, um, yeah, I'm going to probably take a lot of, uh, of shit for this, but, uh, <laughs> in any sense, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was cool that Curry put it out there just for people to kind of debate and, and maybe in a subtle way, trying to say, Hey, Katie, if you ever want to come back, you know, we can, you know, continue the dynasty. Yeah. How about that? How, if that were to happen, it's like, 
that's like that's like getting back with an ex or something like that. Like, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, they basically had the Nets asked for like their future starting five. I think they asked for Wiseman, Moody, Kuminga, Poole, and uh, I'm missing one other stud of theirs. Um, not coming to mind, but anyways, there was a fifth guy in that, and I was like, yeah, and then they wanted picks. I was like, of course they want picks with oh they wanted Wiggins too. So I'm like, all right, yeah, you're gonna take Wiggins from them as well. Uh, yeah, pretty much leave them with their 2017 core. So yeah, that'd basically. be it. Yeah, sign yeah. Pachulia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sign Pachulia and yeah, take out Kawhi's legs again. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's the way to go <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, if we want to, you know, transition over, um, you know, do a hard transition over to baseball. Uh, just looking at this past weekend, um, David Ortiz was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, came with a little bit of controversy, given that uh, you know names like Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Roger Clemens, Rafael Palmeiro, to a lesser extent. Um, yeah, they're they're still waiting for their hall call, whether it'll come or not. Um, how did you how did you feel about David Ortiz being elected? Um, you know, there is some some history there with PED usage. Uh, you know, whether or not it's uh, as severe. Uh, as a as a Sosa Bonds case, Clemens case uh, is to be debated. But um, what what did you think? Yeah, I think part of it just has to do how likable David Ortiz is. I feel like he played the game well with regards to that, like being able to schmooze with the right people. Uh, the press has been pretty favorable overall with David Ortiz. So you know, it's it's he's it's one of those like he's just so likable. So how can you he hate on him? Whereas. You look at players like Alex Rodriguez, uh, Kurt Schilling, uh, and yeah, like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Like a lot of them, they they had a lot more successful careers. Definitely were a lot more involved with regards to the steroids and the era and kind of what everything meant more so. Like it was much more like that they were symbols of this, whereas Dave Ortiz like really wasn't. Uh, And you know, there's definitely been, I guess. you know, some subjectivity with regards to uh, the, the, how it was tested. Cause uh, it was tested, I think like 2003, 2004. And it was kind of like this uh, um, like, you know, just to see who actually is doing steroids, but not actually identifying them. So the result, it was kind of like not as informal of a ster- of a steroid or uh, perform enhancing drug test per se. So that's actually where I think, uh, like Man- uh, Manfred was like, Hey, you know, let's give it with the grain of salt. Like this actually wasn't as formula, you know, formulated as, you know, what we do today. Right. And in, in, tr- in terms of today's testing. So, you know, I, I, I definitely think he has a lot of people on his side. So I think that certainly helps. He definitely has played the political game very much good with a lot of uh, the overwhelmingly with the uh, baseball writers, First bow Hall of Famer, like if you were to say that as like you know Dave Ortiz as a DH, uh, you know maybe five years ago that he this guy's a first bow to Hall of Famer, I would probably say no. Actually, um, really good stats. Definitely, like at, I think what when he was like twenty seven or basically when he joined the Red Sox. So you know very admirable with that. Like love him uh, in the playoffs, but you know with regards to DH and everything, like there was a whole history behind should DHs be, you know, in the hall of fame. Uh, but you know, you, you compare him to like someone like Frank Thomas, Frank Thomas had better, uh, you know, better, uh, advanced metrics. I think, uh, David Ortiz wars like 55 or something like that, or maybe 53. So 
um kind of not i think that cutoff kind of is like in the 70s or 60s so 50s is very much like on the really really good but not necessarily uh you know hall of famer level uh, at least definitely in the more modern day uh uh mlb so um it it definitely has to go i think like maybe 60 percent towards uh him just being favorable with the media knowing the right people uh to kind of mitigate his whole steroid use scandals uh and and kind of going from there but uh you can't knock him though for his clutchness and he was a 10-time all-star so uh you know with the boston faithful kind of voting him in and, and, and taking care of him there so but at the same time i'm like kurt schilling then needs to be in the hall of fame if that's the case i know he's a little bit of a douchebag and everything there but you know this is the baseball hall of fame uh not the most likable most you know uh, uh mr congeniality or whatever uh this is baseball and it, it's hard to compete against uh, Kurt Schilling's resume, you know, especially in the later half of his career, uh, when he was just, you know, winning games, being clutch, uh, and you know, he finished, I think, second in the Cy Young like three times. Uh, it's like Randy Johnson, so you know, he definitely showed up there uh, and was a difference maker overall. So, um, yeah, I think those are my my initial thoughts there. But yeah, would love to hear your thoughts on like Ortiz. Did he deserve it? First ballot Hall of Famer, or you know. Or yeah, just this whole uh, you know, do people that have steroid and PED uh, positive testing uh, do they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I loved your uh, your opening there. I think there's a ton of good points. Uh, first on the PED usage, um, you know, in 2003, uh, you know, he found his way onto a report. Um, it was questionable even at that time. With um, Manny Ramirez was also on that, but. Um, Essentially, I think Manfred, like you were saying, like there is, he was like, there's 10 different areas where there was scientific questioning of the actual results of the test. And then I think at that time they required two tests and they both had to be positives for the PED, you know, suspension or to be kind of like claimed as a PED user or something like that. So I think that only occurred on one of his tests and, you know, they never got to a second or they never proved anything on a second test too. So it's kind of like that to me is a little bit inconclusive, but, uh, you know, even if that was the case, um, the majority of his numbers, if you look at his actual stat line, comes 2004 and after. So after he was caught in that, you know, that report or, you know, some of that suspicion, all of his damage was done after that fact. Whereas, you know, we look at a Bonds, we look at a Sosa, um, some of these other, you know, Palmero, some of these notorious types. It's like, well, they did all their damage while using the product and doing it, you know, pretty obviously there was you know, paper records from Balco, they got onto the Mitchell report. Uh, you know, they'd been using it over prolonged periods of time, years and years uh, for that matter. So when I think of what Ortiz, um, you know, did, at least on the PED side, I don't know if it's as severe um, as others. And, you know, it, it almost seems like it's still kind of in question. So without that kind of like tangible uh, bulletproof um, type, you know, case around it, I, it's hard for me to say like, okay, here's what he did. And this is why, you know, morally or ethically he shouldn't be in the hall of fame. Um, now based on a numbers perspective, I mean, like 500 home runs has always been like that benchmark, you know, number, uh, you know, I think even more so today, 500 home runs is going to be, you know, extra commendable because, you know, guys just aren't hitting, they're not doing 50 home run seasons as much 60 home run seasons. Like we may see Aaron judge, 
you know, approach 60 this year, which would be awesome. But, um, you know, just generally speaking, that number will probably have more prominence over, you know, the next, uh, 20 to 30 years or so, uh, with, with this next crop of guys, but, uh, you know, he had four, 540 home runs, uh, you know, seven times silver slugger, you name the all-star accolades. I mean, what he did in the playoffs was so impressive. I mean, he was just, uh, ice cold, you know, uh, veins, uh, you know, going up there in the series where they were down 3-0 in the ALCS, the Yankees. I mean, seriously, I've never watched a better playoff series of baseball in my entire life. I mean, I was absolutely glued to the TV that that whole fall. Um, you know, I was probably, I mean, at that point, maybe a junior in high school or something. So, you know, baseball was my world. But, uh, you know, just kind of see him hit the walk-off. I feel like that was maybe game five or so. And then, you know, attack on two more World Series after that that first one for the Red Sox. I mean, he has, he's had just a great career. He's just such a character. I mean, he's, even now he's still on Fox and he's like pulling pranks with Frank Thomas and Dontrell Willis. Like, like you're saying, he's just a very lovable type guy. And, uh, you know, needless to say for Boston, he was, uh, you know, iconic next to Manny Ramirez too, um, Johnny Damon, all those other characters or whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think his numbers play, um, you know, whether or not he's at the Frank Thomas uh, level for a DH, he's, I don't think he's there. Is he more, you know, maybe a, maybe a, uh, a stronger version of, you know, Edgar Martinez or <clears throat> something of the sort, but, um, you know, I'm totally with you. I think guys like Kurt Schilling, you know, if we're just going to get down to like, you know, talking about the hall of fame, who belongs, who doesn't. I mean, I, I feel bad for Kurt Schilling, even though I know he's like very outspoken and he like really toes, uh, you know, political lines and, you know, he's probably not everybody's favorite person, but, uh, you know, just in general, I mean, you think back to like World Series baseball, and I can't think of a pitcher that like comes to mind as much as Kurt Schilling. Like our whole childhood, it was like the Diamondbacks, the Red Sox. I mean, that guy, he was even with the Phillies in 93. I mean, like he just always, you know, found a way during that time of year to be, you know, just uh, just lights out. And, um, you know, his numbers play too. I think he's got more than 200 wins. He's you know, definitely been a league leader in strikeouts multiple seasons throughout his career. Um, probably a solid career ERA. I don't have the the stat line in front of me for Kurt Schilling, but he's one of those guys where I think, you know, it, it's kind of obvious. It's just, you know, kind of unfortunate that personalities get in the way of things. Um, but no, as, as far as my case, I've always kind of stood with it and I'll always stand behind it. But like, you know, I know Barry Bonds would have been a Hall of Famer whether or not he did steroids or not. And I know Roger Clemens would have been a Hall of Famer regardless of steroid usage. Um, Sammy Sosa, I don't think so. Um, you know, other guys who are kind of in the discussion but have been left out, like we can probably debate them you know, more thoroughly. But, uh, you know, it just comes down to principle. Like everybody, I feel like there's been arguments for, okay, baseball is – should just acknowledge that the steroid era existed. It should be, you know, commemorated. <laughs> it's like this thing, like we have acknowledged it, we have recognized it, but there's no reason to like celebrate the actors involved in this whole racket and this whole scheme, because, you know, as, as great as they were for that era, they also took away from the greatness of other guys in that league. And that's like, I think you and I have talked about this, like Astros thing is where it's like, yeah, the Astros players like all cheated. They didn't just cheat, but they like they seriously took paychecks away from guys because you know they blow up certain pitchers and you know baby pitchers were sent back to the minors and didn't get a real chance to you know 
live out their baseball MLB experience uh, authentically and in a non-illegal way. So, yeah, I just don't think that, a you know, we can all acknowledge it. We can all say like, you know, Bonds and Clemens and all these guys were great for this era, but like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like you cheated, you did a wrong thing. Like you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to get into, you know, the most, uh, you know, uh, like renowned, you know, museum for, you know, people of this craft, but that's just my, my perspective. Yeah, yeah no, those are great thoughts. I'll touch base first on Kurt Schilling and then I, I can before I guess with regards to yeah, steroid use and all that. So I'm looking at the metrics for Kurt Schilling. Um, his war for his career is 79.5, uh, which is pretty damn good for a pitcher. Uh you know, and with regards to his ERA, yeah, he had 216 wins, ERA uh 3.46, which you know for his era is pretty damn good. Um, and you know, also playing at uh Fenway Park, especially later in his career, very much a hitter's park there, so uh very commendable there. Uh his stats are just ungodly. Like, I don't know if anybody can look at the stats uh you know of today. And compare it to the stats that he has or that he had, um, you know, he was the Phillies, Arizona, and all that. Like 256 innings pitched, like a- astronomical, and then barely any walks too. I think that's like that was like oh, his whole thing was he would do all these things, like be a, a, an an innings eater, but then also have like a WHIP under like 1.2, right, or like under one. It's like how do you do that? How do you get 300 strikeouts? And then, you know, get like 30 walks at the same time or whatever, 40 walks and then 250 plus innings. Like this is just nuts, uh, you know, especially in today's type of baseball. So, um, yeah, I don't care necessarily like, uh, you know, like, yeah, he didn't cheat. Right. He kind of played it as clean as possible. He's definitely not the most fit person. So you can definitely like, all right, you know, he's not, you always kind of have a little bit of a beer belly going on there and all, but Hey, he can throw 98, uh, you know, especially in the later in his career. So uh, I think Schoen deserves it to be in the hall of fame. Uh, I think he ought to have been a first ballot. Uh, and I, I think it's uh, just a dessert. It really just goes to show like the Oscars and, the Emmys and all that and the Hall of Fame, it's all political. It's all a, a, a you know, a contest uh, or, uh, not just of your accolades or how good you are, but of, you know, how well you can play the game of politics, game, smoothing up to the people, playing to whatever the zeitgeist of that moment is happening. So um, I definitely think it's, it's honestly just wrong uh, that he is not in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, one uh, one uh, interjection I had with what you're saying is I back you in putting Schilling in is Jack Morris, I feel like, is a guy who's pretty comparable to him that was kind of held out of the Hall of Fame, not for personal reasons, but just on numbers alone. And I'm pretty sure Schilling's probably got him matched or beat in a lot of these areas. But like, so Jack Morris had 254 wins, a 390 career ERA, and he was a three-time World Series winner like Schilling. And he waited a while to get in, even though he was pretty squeaky clean. But even his war was 43 and a half. And like you're saying with Schilling, it's like you just said, like, he's like at Frank Thomas level war is what you were saying, like 73, something like that, something plus. But it's just that's what it's that's what it's showing me. It's like, I mean, that's pretty he's almost like 
double the player of Jack Morris, who was a good pitcher first time. Yeah, and th- this is where I'm like, you know, with regards to people, sometimes we just get, I don't say, like our feelings hurt, and we just go with regards to how we feel about things sometimes without actually looking at the stats, without trying to be as objective as possible about things. Like, I lost all respect for the Oscars when they picked uh, Saving Private Ryan not to win, and they picked... Uh, uh, or should I say they picked uh, was it Shakespeare in Love to win over Saving Private Ryan. After that, I'm like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. You guys are just a bunch of you know hippies in the West Coast or whatever. So uh, if, if that's what you think, if this, if this is what you think is better than Saving Private Ryan, you don't know what you're talking about. Also, Jim Carrey in uh, The Truman Show, he, knew, he deserved an Oscar for that. He actually won the Golden Globe, I believe, too. So... Uh, and was not even nominated for the Oscars. What? What the fuck? Like, you know, <laughs> that's one of those things. So it really is like this whole contest, basically, of trying to schmooze and playing the zeitgeist, like with the Truman Show. Comedy is not, you can't win Best Picture or Best Actor if you're, if you're a comedian or whatever. So all right. that, yes. Um, so a lot of it's just BS there. And I definitely think that, uh, yeah, I love the comparison of Jack Morris. Uh, again, yeah, someone that's just very, very favorable, you know, maybe played in a big market for an extended number of years. War 43, because, you know, this was definitely much more of like you, you take advanced metrics, right? There's, I forget, there's a lot of pitchers out there never made the Hall of Fame, but the war is higher because guess what? They got people out, but they played for a crappy team. So, and they didn't play for a big market like the Yankees, your Red Sox, Dodgers, or whoever. So, you know, they, they they there was a lot of lost uh, uh, people out there that just never got that chance. So much so that baseball had to have this what uh, like historical uh, committee or something like that to be like, uh, y- you know, y'all screwed up. You guys can't evaluate things because you guys are just a bunch of biased, you know, assholes. So we're gonna actually kind of you know set up a committee to undo all your wrongdoings, essentially. That is mm-hmm. what that is what the baseball hall of fame is with regards to this. So um that's that's how I feel about the baseball hall of fame. That's how I feel <laughs> about you know judgment of of the writers with regards to that. Um yeah. they're gonna yeah. wait till Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, and all them die, and then they'll be like, Okay, now we'll now put we you can in. do it. Yeah, now <laughs> we can do it. Now we can do it. It's like is that how petty can you be then with regards <laughs> to that, you know? It was like poor Ron Sano. Like, no, like I think Ron Sano was like one of the first of that historical committee. And I was just like, this dude was like, he had amputated legs. He was like the beloved announcer of the Cubs. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't care about Ron Sano. But like, I was like, man, that's pretty cold, man. It's like really cold. This poor yeah. guy. That's, that's yeah. all he wanted. All he it's wanted. Like- it's like it's like what do you, is you got you gotta like set up a make a wish for Ron Sano. Like, yeah, I come on. <laughs> I just wanna be the Hall of Fame. I don't have any legs. Like what what can you do? Like, yeah, you look at Ron Sano who's able to contribute for the Cubs, like yeah, not as like a Cubs fan, but you look at it what he was able to do, his stats and everything. Put him in the fucking Hall of Fame, but for whatever reason, you know, I, I'm not too familiar about the whole backgrounds with Ron Sano if he had any discrepancies with the media probably it sounds like so because uh, i know like yeah i know as an adult i care him as an announcer he can be pretty fun a pretty fun guy which you know uh, the media doesn't t- tend to like sometimes so yeah. uh yeah, yeah yeah so that's definitely where i i you know there's always this bias with regards to media and how they treat the players so much so it's like they're propping them up for 
uh, you know, for, for success, even before they do anything successful. So um, that's definitely where I feel like Kurt Schilling, uh, you know, he, de- he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, cut all the other stuff out. I get it, whatever, you know, uh, the, the, he can definitely have his, his say on stuff, but you got to evaluate him, the player as a talent, uh, what they were, what they were able to contribute um, and all that. I know there's like a morality, is it a morality or like, you know, clause or part of that uh, within the baseball hall of fame. Um, yeah. I, I know that is part of it, but it's like, I don't is he has he killed anybody? Has he like you know done any like uh anything that a lot of other athletes are doing uh or have done that are in the Hall of Fame? No, he hasn't. So uh yeah, he's definitely said a lot of controversial things. I get it. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh a lot of people have said a lot of different things in baseball, sports in general. So uh, but you know, they're still heralded, they're still in Hall of Fame. So like why why make uh, 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 Kurt Schilling, kind of, I don't know, like a martyr in a way with regards to this. Like, it's it's just ridiculous. So, uh, I'm definitely much more of on team uh, Kurt Schilling with that. Um, just looking at the stats, his career, clutch moments, uh, the bloody sock, holy cow, you know, they're gonna they're, they'll put his sock in the Hall of Fame or whatever in the, in and uh, and yeah, and and yeah. So, but they won't Kurt. put. Kurt Schilling in there, so Kurt will take your sock, but but you can't come. You, you're not invited. <laughs> we'll have your sock though. Yeah, we'll do your laundry for you. <laughs> get that man's laundry. Get get in there. Let's see, like get in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, with regards to like, I guess steroids and everything too. Um, it, it it's definitely like so many different sides, and I I don't know if I necessarily have a strong opinion on it. Right, I feel like. You know, in modern sports, like everybody's always trying to find that edge and everything. And like, I don't know, was was steroids necessarily banned or whatever uh, for that? I guess not. Necess- not necessarily when it when they were all of a sudden like, oh, everybody's hitting homers. Why is that happening? Oh, steroids. Oh, holy cow! So I, I get that. You know, as a competitor, they're trying to really push the edge and and go out there. Like, you know, if it's not against the rules per se, is it really cheating? Um, yeah, I. But at the same time, there's definitely that whole competitiveness. Like you want some level of uh, of an equal playing field, uh, you know, with regards to at least steroids and. Uh, but then, yeah, it's like, how does that differentiate from all the pine tar, from spitballs, from all the other fun stuff that players do with baseballs or their bats or you know cork, right? <laughs> and that was the fun part mm-hmm. too. Uh, it's like how, you know, where do we draw the lines with regards to competitive advantages? Uh, you know, we've talked about the shift uh, and and things like, like that from the team perspective, but, you know, from the individual perspective, then it's like, you know, how can we, how can we draw the lines on, you know, steroid use uh, and uh, PEDs and, you know, with pine tar, with, uh, you know, obviously the Astros kind of going all, uh, you know, recording all that, playing drums going all bill belichick uh uh with regards to pitch pitching and all that but obviously you know a lot of teams in the past have uh stolen signals from pitchers and and catchers so it's like again where are we going to draw the line with regards to that and you know uh, how can we punish it or how do we uh enforce some sort of um yeah like punishment or 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 how do we regulate that uh from the competitive perspective on baseball so i think those are my initial thoughts with regards to that but 
yeah, uh, it's hard to say to say if that's the way to go or to completely just like, you know, do we go uh, completely ignore uh, all these competitive advantages? So like, hey, if you win, great, good for you. We'll put you on the hall and, and all that. Or do we go the other way uh, of just saying that uh, all these things are wrong? So, yeah, I mean, illegal drugs, uh, things that could harm, you know, youth in their outlook on life, how to become a professional player, how to become a, a strong man. Like, I think I think those kinds of things are so detrimental to the game. And even when Bonds was going through it, I mean, he was probably the most egregious. I mean, I know McGuire and Sosa had their era, but it was like he was piggybacking off that. And as we were watching, everyone's like looking left and right, like, this is a fucking joke, right? Because it's like, you know, nobody's buying this. Like, this guy's in his late 30s. He's hitting you know, 60, 70 home runs. He never did that in his, you know, in his prime years where he's actually like a stud baseball player. He's like on the same shelf as Ken Griffey Jr. It was just like, why are you doing this? Uh, you know, it's too bad. I mean, it's just like really too bad that Barry felt like he had to go there to, you know, justify himself, vindicate himself. It's kind of like a Kevin Durant situation going to Golden State, you know, in a different way. It's like something goes on between these guys' ears and it's like, it's just very confusing, but I think to what you're saying about the sign stealing stuff, like that has been a part of the game. Um, you know, this whole thing with tech definitely changed the changed the scenario because you had like analysts up in the box feeding signals down to the dugout and this and that. One thing I thought about, and you know, nowadays they have for the catchers, they have like a beeper system that like they'll just beep the sign into the pitcher's ear. He's got a mic and stuff. Like in football's already gone there with the helmets and stuff, but like instead of just uh, getting all nitpicky about cameras and watches and tablets and all this other stuff, just, just let everybody use everything all the time with tech, let everybody do everything they want to like analyze the game, break it down with video, audio, uh, you know, wearables, whatever it is, because I think like this beeper technology, unless they're like, you know, connected to NASA, you know, Houston, I don't know, but like, you know, unless they're like got sonar and can like, <laughs> I don't know, like kind of play off like when the sounds are going to come over and like what the sounds actually mean or something. But like, I just think, um, you know, sign stealing. Um, I, I, I just think if you let everybody use tech and just like leave that alone, like I think that's good enough. But um, yeah, when it comes to drugs and things to like abnormally make yourself stronger uh, in a competitive sport, like, whether it's track and field, football, uh, you name it, I just I just think that's like a no a no go. That's a non starter because it just it hurts the players, their long term health, and it just I mean it hurts all of us as like viewers and like especially kids who are just like you know I, I did it myself. I thought Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire were like gods, you know, I, they were actual gods, and we were just like watching gods like you know, take over the universe. Like 1998 was like seriously one of the most exciting years of baseball that I've ever watched. And I was pretty impressionable as an 11 year old who loved baseball. So like, you know, that kind of stuff is, 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 is harmful. Um, and that's probably where I'd go with it on, on both of those subjects. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, an, like an interesting topic. I think it's like, you know, uh, yeah. Like, do we let, do we let kids take steroids? Do we, is that something that would be acceptable in high school? Uh, or should we just let them, Hey, you know, here are the ramifications. If you do it, like, yeah, you know, you get a bunch of back acne and 
uh, you know, below the waist can be a little bit weird. So, uh, like, if, if is it like a, a choice thing? Do we want to just like, hey, if you want to ruin your your biological systems and all that, you know, go for it, I guess. But, um, you know, yeah, like I, I guess drugs and perform enhancing and drugs uh, can definitely be, you know, it's it's definitely like, uh, you know, I feel like kind of a gray line between that and then obviously like, all the other types of remedies that uh, professional players uh you know or just professional athletes in general are utilizing uh you know we're talking about uh all the all the you know how there's hyperbolic chambers and all that uh, all the state of the art types of you know remedies uh, with massaging or or you know acupuncture there's so many different things and ways now that athletes are uh improving their body uh getting recovery time you know we're talking about cupping too and a lot of uh olympic athletes do that um, so it's like, do we allow uh, uh, players to then go the extra step and take some sort of foreign s- substance that needs to be injected into them to, you know, to to do these things? Um, you know, if, you know, if I have a son or whatever, like I definitely would be like, yeah, don't don't go that route. Uh, that's how I would go. But at the same time, I'm like, hey, if you know, maybe if you are just uh, something that, hey, you know, all the ramifications about what these drugs can do um to your body but you know if you want to go that route you know maybe go for it but i definitely also think that as a society then it's like we got to evaluate it as all right if they're willing to do that um like should we look at, at them more favorably is like you know how i guess you know women in botox or plastic surgery is it kind of the same thing there versus you know how uh you know working out and dieting and juicing and all that fun stuff so um yeah i don't know it is kind of I, at least i feel like it's a little bit of a gray area but i can definitely see where it's like you you want it to be as pure as possible just because you know you love the sport you want to see the best but at the same time you don't want things to be too crazy going on forth so yeah they yeah i'm pretty hard on the steroids part mm-hmm. um as that being a definite no uh like i love what they've done with that system where it's half a season, one season and like lifetime ban. I think that's a fair way of going about it. Like, Hey, we'll slap you on. There's pretty hard. Cause that's like half your salary for the year. Then we'll get your full one. And then by that point, your stigma, everything that will follow you. Like you're pretty much after probably the first one, like a no go for the hall of fame with where guys are currently standing. Like, I hope the writers have some backbone and like, we'll stand by on this for as long as it takes. Like, cause I mean, we didn't even touch on Pete Rose, which is like, you know, another part is like now we're in a world where, you know, gambling, sports gambling is like the rage. Like it's even more popular than like season long fantasy seasons that, you know, would be gambling among friends for, you know, a pool of money. But now it's like on a daily basis, you can gamble on like basically any sport, anytime. So it's like, I'm just saying, I think Pete Rose would be the first guy let into the door before I look at any of the steroid users because I'm like, this guy did it as a manager. And he was betting apparently on his own team. So it's not like he was throwing games. Uh, but again, we're getting nitpicky. I think all this stuff's kind of trashy. I think it all kind of follows you in your own history, your own story. You always have an asterisk above your name. And personally within you, like if you, Wayne, or, or me are playing a sport, but we're, we're knowingly taking steroids or betting on outcomes or whatever, like, how good are you actually going to feel at the end of your career? Like, yeah, you made a lot of money and like you got a lot of press or whatever. Like 
personally, I don't care about it that much. Like, I don't really care if like I got a huge following or something. Like that, sh- that just like doesn't matter as much, I think, in like my own life. But like, it's just it's very it's very uh, it's very sad, honestly, that it needs to go there to, for for guys like a Barry Bonds who's already was a first ballot Hall of Famer, regardless of all this crap. Like needed mm-hmm. to go there. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely I like that your analogy though of like it is kind of like Kevin Durant joining the 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 Warriors, right? Uh, It's like you know you're you're very much heralded like you're you're on your way to a Hall of Fame career, and then you're just you just I don't got lazy or whatever you just like you kind of took the easy way out the easy road, and you know I I I think it's it's one of those like I guess double edged swords like. We want players to perform, right? We want them to perform their best, uh, or perform out out of this world. And maybe you know, as an athlete, it's like they have just higher expectations for themselves too. So um, that's where it's like, oh, I'm Kevin Durant. I want to win a championship. I don't want to be Charles Barkley. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be John Stockton or Karl Malone. I want to win a chip. So you know, that's that's definitely where it's like where we would knock him for that and. He just, I guess, didn't feel that way uh, that he can get that ch- that championship in uh in, in for Oklahoma City. Although it's like, man, if they just kept uh yeah Russell Westbrook and James Harden there, uh, just wait a couple years for that salary to the salary cap to to go up a little bit. Um, yeah, it's yeah, I I definitely like that analogy. I think it makes a great point of like, yeah, is there you know you're killing the competitiveness of of the game if you kind of if you're Kevin Durant, you just join like, you know, or any of these athletes, right. In the NBA, just joining whatever superstar team out there and, and just creating super teams. It's like super teams. The NBA is kind of like, yeah, I guess, I don't know, steroid use and all that uh, for MLB or and all. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think we can close the book on this topic. I think that, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> No, it just it touches on so many different aspects of uh, players and their decisions over the, over the time, and just kind of like the criteria with, with which we, you know, judge judge performance and judge uh, you know individuals. So, um, I guess s- sticking on baseball, um, you know, another topic that I feel like we've talked about just in terms of you know the new era versus the old era. But um, I don't know if you um, watched the game. Uh, believe it was earlier. Um, this week, I think it may be over the weekend, but uh, the Diamondbacks were hosting the Washington Nationals and Victor Robles hit a solo homer off of uh, Madison Bumgarner in the top of the eighth. It was seven to one Arizona. So, you know, no consequence really of the home run within the game. But uh, I guess Robles was kind of watching it for a little bit and then did a little stutter step and like walk, you know, ran over to first base. Um, you know, I watched it back personally. I didn't think it was like, like really egregious, but um, essentially, you know, Mass and Bumgarner had a quote after the game, and he's got kind of a rap sheet when it comes to this stuff. But he he, he said of Robles, um, you know, he's a clown. Golly, no shame, no shame. Like it's seven to one. You hit your third home run of the year, and you act like Barry Bonds breaking the record. Clean it up. I don't care about giving up the run. Hell, we won seven two eight two. Whatever it was, it's frustrating. I'm the old grumpy guy. I know. But that type of stuff that didn't used to happen. That's ridiculous. Um, I guess to kind of round out the story, Robles the next night was caught in the dugout wearing a clown nose. 
uh, in the dugout. And uh, I think it got the attention of LeBron James, who um, ended up retweeting a picture of Robles. Someone's was like behind him for it. But, uh, you know, Robles said through an interpreter that uh, when he's pitching well, Madison Baumgartner, he's, he's able to celebrate and do what he likes to do. Uh, it seems like he calls everybody a clown that actually has a big hit or home run against him. If he doesn't want anyone hitting home run against him or having issues with that, then just strike people out or make better pitches to where he doesn't have to worry about that. Um, so that's kind of, I think, where it ended. I don't really think there was much else that like escalated past that point. But um, I don't know if you watched the actual video of the home run, um, if you had any thoughts there. But then, you know, what do you think of, you know, Bumgarner's side? Are you, are you for him? And then what he thinks? Are you against what he thinks? And, you know, what do you make of all of this? Yeah, so I watched the John Boy. That's that's how I got that's how I got familiar with it. Uh, that's obviously the most hysterical way to to view it all and most entertaining way to look at it. So, um, but with regards to like sides, I guess like you know, I I don't know if I'm necessarily for either per se. I think you know, Baumgartner has a good point. Like, yeah, like why are you doing that? But at the same time, that's that's on Noblest, You know, being just stupid. It's like, yeah, you hit a home run. It's completely meaningless. Like if you're gonna do that, like make it a make it a walk off, right? Like you do that on the walk off. You do that, uh, you know, if if it's like a playoff game and it was a meaningful home run, you know. So, like uh, that's where you do it. But yeah, like a seven and two. I I guess I get that, but um, at the same time, like, uh, what's the saying about um, like the opposite of uh, you know, being like uh uh enthusiastic or something or like the opposite of uh basically i think the idea is if you if you don't care about your enemy that is the best like vantage point for that it's like just don't care uh and i think Bumgarner kind of cares <laughs> i think is what it seems like uh he ought to just been like yeah i think the meet the press probably asked him like how did they feel about that but, you know, if, if I, I guess the more, you know, uh, perfect way to look at it from Bar- Bumgarner's standpoint is like, I honestly don't care. Like, we won the game, you know, sure, you might have acted clownish or whatever, but I don't, I don't care. So that might have been, the, you know, maybe the better approach uh, uh, from a maybe more virtuous standpoint or whatever. So, but yeah, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, I feel like... Um... Number one, the what Robles actually did wasn't even egregious. Like I've seen, you know, if you look at like Jose Batista standing at home plate and like bat flipping, um, that's one thing. I mean, I even saw in the World Series, this was the worst one I ever saw. And this one I actually like was like, that's that's like over the line. But like Cody Bellinger, like carried the bat with him like three quarters of the way down the line and then flipped it. And I was just like, all right, there's a difference between like, being in the moment, enjoying your moment, you got a big hit in the big game. Like I get that, especially when you get to the playoffs. Like I get that you're that excited and you want to bat flip. Like totally cool with it. Like have no problem as a fan or even as a baseball player, uh, past and president. It's like I get that, but like Madison Bumgarner <laughs> takes it to like a whole nother level because this guy gets so riled up about the smallest of things, like. If you there's a good compilation video on YouTube of Madison Bumgarner's like freakouts, but there's like six or seven different moments in time. A couple with Yasiel Puig, another guy who was pretty much a no namer at this point with the Dodgers, uh, Max Muncie when he actually had a home run into the water in McCovey Cove in San Francisco. 
Um, even Will Myers, there was like a fly out or something. Will Myers was like not hustling down the first baseline on a fly out. Madison Bumgarner is like yelling at him in his direction, but like, you know, Madison Bumgarner comes from like the oldest school of baseball, the oldest train of thought. I think he's, you know, good old boy in the, in the South and like plays, you know, the game with, uh, you know, kind of an old man's mentality and even kind of admitted I'm the grumpy old guy was kind of what he put in his own quote. So he's kind of calling himself out for that. But like, I don't know, there's just too many incidents where I've watched Madison Bumgarner and like supposedly getting showed, shown up. And I'm just like, man, this guy is so sensitive. Um, Cause the Muncie Muncie thing is probably the funniest thing I've ever watched uh, on YouTube back like a million times. I think John boy covered that one too, but it's just like, you know, Muncie hits a bomb and he is walking and he is watching and, you know, Bastin's like pointing at him, like, you know, go run, da 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 da. And he's like, you know, hustle your ass or whatever. And he's like, no, he's like, yeah, I, I can't remember what Muncie said back to him, but he, there's one point in what Muncie says, he's like, yeah, why don't you go fetch that ball out of the water or something like that? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool to just kind of shut him up. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a balance. Uh, I think when we're talking about like the greater picture, so like normally I'm always on the side of the player against Madison Bumgarner because he's always going to flip out. Like seriously, watch this compilation video. Anybody who's listening to this, watch that compilation video on YouTube because it is hilarious. It's definitely worth like the 10 minutes. But um, yeah, just from a greater perspective, I think that, you know, there are times where guys really cross the line. Like Carlos Gomez is another guy who I like vividly remember in Atlanta hitting an absolute bomb out to left center field into like, like probably like the 15th row. And this guy just like walked like all the way down the first base line, then started trotting. He's yelling at Freddie Freeman. He yells at the third baseman. And when he gets the home plate, Brian McCann is like mask off the catcher of the Braves mask off. He's like in his face and they're just jawing before Carlos even gets to home and there's pushing and shoving. And you know, that kind of stuff like doesn't belong in the game. Like I don't like when guys, you know, are deliberately trying to like rub it in the pitcher's face or the other team's face. But like, yeah, if you want to, if you had a bomb and you want to take a couple seconds to appreciate it, like, Hey, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea is about respect, right? It's like, you're not showing up uh, the other player or the other team or you're just enjoying the moment. I think if what, and that's definitely like, I have the beholder, I guess, but you know, if you can convey that, like you're not looking at any of the, you're not looking, staring down the pitcher which I know Juan Soto sometimes does and everything uh, with, with regards to all that. So it's like, you know, if you're not disrespecting the pitcher in that sense and like aiming after him or, you know, jawing on him, then I get, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just the sign of respect with regards to that. But at the same time, yeah, it's like, you can still have fun. You can still enjoy things. It's like, yeah, that's what keeps the game going. Uh, But yeah, it's, it is definitely a balanced act. Um, I do recall like all the all the Korean bat, bat flips and uh, Japanese. <laughs> those are the best things ever. Like that is an art form. So I'm like, yeah, like that. Those things are pretty. Like I look at those, like that's excessive. But you know, it's part of the culture. It's ingrained. You know, with they've been doing it for decades. So um, yeah, it, it definitely is one of those. Like, hey, you don't want to see me do this. Uh, don't get me giving up home runs. So. Um, I get all that. Um, but yeah, it definitely is. I feel like a kind of that balance of, Hey, you know, uh, at least don't show up the, the pitcher. Just, you know, uh, be, be respectful. Obviously it's like, yeah, don't take your time just rounding the bases and starting out, starting around. I feel like, Hey, yeah, do a nice backflip or yeah, bat, bat flip 
if you can do a backflip, great. Uh, but uh, yeah, just you know, uh, uh, be be as respectful as you can with regards to it. But yeah, still enjoy the game. It's it definitely is a nice balancing act, though. I I think Tim Anderson is, in my opinion, I think he does it pretty well, like with regards to showing enthusiasm for the game and like like oh this is fun uh and not necessarily disrespecting like the pitcher but maybe that's my white Sox bias so no i think no i i I agree because we're also in like a new generation of baseball where like it's not just the bat flips but it's also like this flair that's brought in from other cultures it's like jewelry is now a big thing and you know uh different colored shoes and different color arm sleeves batting gloves and maybe like the traditional uni set is about like now, do I love like watching like Mankato come out in bright pink like cleats every game, or like you know Eloy wearing like ten gold chains and like you know baby blue cleats when we have black and white unis? Like, no. As a purist, I'm like, and even in the NBA, you'll see like Tatum wearing you know purple purple uh, basketball shoes with a green outfit. It's like, are right, you guys look like clowns? Kind of, but like I get it because it's like you know kids who are watching this game or anybody who's like maybe our age or a little younger who's just like into fashion like wants to know like what's what are the coolest shoes or like you know let me go buy more merch like that's a good selling point like you get people like interested in like these little details of the game i guess i could say but like yeah i think like just a little bad flip after a home run like if you're watching on tv and you're a kid baseball is a slow moving game it's it can be pretty boring especially in today's era where it's just home run pop out or strike out so it's like yeah, you need a little bit more energy around it. And like, I'm cool with that as long as, uh, you know, you're not trying to get in fights. And like, I'll honestly say, like, if there's a fight that breaks out, I kind of like it piques my own interest. So like, I'll like watch a little more carefully. But like, yeah, just, you know, don't, don't be don't be that guy on the videos. Just like, you know, remembered for being a jackass, like, you know, but uh, to get back to Madison, the only other thing I was going to say is that one guy who was a no name around the Dodgers he got mad at. He once got mad at a guy because he popped out and he was pissed that he popped out. So like this guy like popped out and threw his bat down, was pissed and was running first. And Madison Bumgarner like said to him, like, you're not that good. Like, don't pretend like you were good enough to get a hit off me. Like, and then throw your bat like that. So like, he's just like the baseball police. And I'm like, this guy just needs to go. Like he's done a good job for the game. Like he'll probably be a hall of famer. It's like, seriously, old man, just like, Go back to Mississippi or wherever you're from. Just like, just chill out a little bit. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, no. You definitely admire his passion for the game in that sense. But yeah, like, come on. Other people can have fun and enjoy life. Like, I know <laughs> apparently you can, but other people can enjoy life. So, um, no, I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, yeah, was very clutch when he was the Giants, won those World Series. Uh, you know, I guess the Giants wanted to move on and, and got some assets from the Diamondbacks, but it's like, yeah, uh, you know, you got to admire him as a player, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, hey, yeah, sit down, old man, a little bit, uh, which is funny because I still remember when he was like a 20 year old, like phenom and all that, and then really killing it. And then now he's like this old guy just like complaining about crap, so. <laughs> yeah for the record he's from uh, hickory north carolina so sorry to anybody from mississippi or or whatever else but uh yeah. i'm with you uh <laughs> he needs to retire soon yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 for sure but um oh. yeah i know uh i know there's a lot of juan soto news speaking of like all the eccentric uh baseball players out there and all their theatrics for sure 
Um, but I know, yes, Juan Soto has been kind of rumored uh, now uh, with regards to being part of trades because he declined that, was it 450 some odd million dollar 15-year contract? And uh, the Nats were like, oh, you, you just flat out declined it, no negotiation? Like, so you want to be out of here? And sounds like Juan Soto wants to go to a contender um, to compete and everything. So, uh, and hey, he's, he's, he's showing up, won the, the home run derby, only 23 years old, has, I think, three years left on his contract. So very team friendly deal. So, you know, if I'm the, the Nats, like there's definitely a lot of cards that you're holding and can ask for a good haul. But, um, yeah, curious your thoughts, Pat, on like, you know, who do you think that would be some good suitors for Juan? What do you think that haul could possibly look like? And then, yeah, we'd love to just hear, like, what your initial reactions are to Juan Soto possibly being traded. Yeah, I mean, I think first off, this is kind of on topic tonight. I mean, with Kevin Durant, like, baseball is such a different game than basketball. But, you know, this whole idea of winning to me seems kind of a kind of a reach. Like, I, I'll, I'll take it for what it is because maybe it's an easier way of him saying I don't want to live in D.C. maybe for the next 15 years. Maybe I'm... 23 years old and I don't want my whole life to be, you know, etched in stone when I'm just like, you know, getting into my career and like, you know, understanding who I am as an individual. Like, it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say if you're Juan Soto, let's say he's truly like, yeah, I'd love to live in LA. I'd love to live in New York. I'd love to try something new because I'm 23 years old and I've already won a world series here. Like, you know, think like, you know, he's not Bryce Harper, uh, who, you know, I think was in his tw- late twenties when he had that opportunity or he was married and had a you know kid by the time he was like making that big deal with the Phillies for 12 years. So it's like, not everybody's built like that. Not everybody's a Mike, the next Mike, Mike Trout. So, uh, you know, for Juan, I think this, if the argument is winning, then it's pretty short-sighted because unless you're going to the Yankees, uh, you're pretty much not guaranteed like a winning year for the rest of your career, unless you're, maybe Yankees or Dodgers at this point. Right. So I think for one, it's more about, you know, I think he wants to cash in, maybe he wants a higher AAV um, for a shorter amount of years and say like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be booked at 29 million for the rest of my career per year, even though you're going to pay me in my late thirties. Um, so I guess to your, you know, your second part of your question um, with Juan Soto, you know, great player, 23 years old. I know he's having like statistically, it's not like jaw dropping this year so far, but you know, still up in like the top 20 of war. And like, again, the kid's 23, he's won a world series. <laughs> he's, you know, pretty much like had an amazing batting average, uh, his home runs, his power in there is so, like his advanced stats are great. So he's totally worth it. He's controllable for what all analysts are saying, three playoff runs. So you know, if you're looking at teams who have like a short window of contention, there's really like four teams that come to mind to me. Um, I might be a little bit long winded here, so bear with me. But I think when I go down my line, who's most ready, who really needs a guy like this? I mean, St. Louis Cardinals have been rumored. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. If like Washington really gets there and says, okay, now is the time, but you know, if Washington's trying to build a team for now and for later, you could bring back an outfielder to, you know, quote unquote, replace Soto with Dylan Carlson. You can get, you know, Brendan Donovan, who's a rookie. You could play every single position on the diamond and has kind of proven himself a little bit at the MLB level. 
Um, you could also maybe ask for like a Nolan Gorman, who's like their top prospect, who's currently playing like second base, first base a little bit. He's got a really high strikeout rate, but he's a guy that I think, you know, could play in Washington for years to come. And then they just have like a dearth of top 100 prospects like uh, Jordan Walker plays third base. He's like a top six prospect. Matt Liberator was brought up as a starting pitcher and then maybe like a Mason win at shortstop. So like the going rate for like a Soto seems like on par with a Durant. So it's like, you know, right now, Mike Rizzo, the GM of Washington's like, Hey, like, give me your best. Uh, give me your Kevin Durant offer. Cause I'm just going to sit here and hold Soto because I got, I got him for two more full seasons after this one, if, if I want to. So it's kind of like exactly the exact, you know, the same situation, except you're dealing with a guy who's, at a Kevin Durant level, but just like way younger. So it's, he's, he can ask for the world in this situation, but um, you know, St. Louis is one team I think really stands out because they're like playoff ready. Um, Another team that I thought, and they've also been like within like the rumored speculation is the Seattle uh, where Wayne, you know, actually like lived and uh, was a part of that whole culture. But uh, yeah, they got a kid named Noel V. Marte who's a shortstop. He's uh, the 18th prospect on top 100. They also brought up uh, two pitchers, George Kirby and Matt Brash this year um, at the pro level who, you know, Kirby's still around. Matt Brash had some struggles, but like you could bring, you know, them over in a trade, um, maybe throwing like an Abraham Toro who's on the major league uh, roster at second base, third base. He was brought over in, from Houston in the Kendall Graveman deal last year, you know, like a real serviceable player. Um, you know, he can be held for a while and he's, he's still young. And then, why not kick the tires on like a Jared Kelenic, like absolutely bombed in Seattle, but like who's not to say he gets a fresh, you know, uh, environment and maybe some more time in the minors. Like he was a top prospect, like a Julio Rodriguez. He just didn't pan out. So that's kind of team two, team three to me. And this is like the one that everybody's talking about is like, this is the team is New York Mets because Juan Soto I guess even through Jonathan Papelbon wants to go to New York or wants to be like with the Mets specifically, but really hard for me to see this because why, if you're Washington, just like if you're the Brooklyn Nets, why would you want to trade Kevin Durant within your division? You know, why would you want to trade Soto within your division to the Mets who are just going to own you for the next five plus seasons, you know? So the only thing is like if Soto wants to go there and forces his way there, whatever it is like New York Mets have also like a ton of like MLB ready top, top 100 prospects they could offer here. I mean, Francisco Alvarez is their catcher, even though the Washington nationals have Kybert Ruiz uh, through the Dodgers deal that they got for Scherzer and Turner. Still, you can't miss like the top prospect in baseball. Um, Brett Batty is a first baseman. Uh, Ronnie Mar- Mar- Mauricio is their shortstop. He's a top 50 prospect. Alex Ramirez is an outfielder. And then maybe they throw in like a Tyler McGill as a pitcher with a Dominic's, you know, Do- Dominic Smith is like a DH left field first base option who's pro ready. Um, it's possible. Like the package is possible. It just comes down to scenario um, with the Mets. And then uh, finally, this is my dark horse. And I know I'm like super long winded here, but like the Texas Rangers last year bought bought into Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon up the middle. They went out and got John Gray as a top starter, and he's actually really performed well. And they're, like, towing the line of 500 in their first year of, like, their actual rebuild. So it's, like, they've got money to spend. they got a new stadium. They've got a lot of top 100 prospects, if you look at it. 
They've got one, two, three, four, five, six guys in the top 100. Plus, they just um, drafted Kumar Rocker, who uh, was actually their top prospect, Jack Leiter's um, teammate at Vanderbilt. So it's like they could also throw Kumar Rocker into this mix. But they essentially have seven guys in the top 100. They could say, hey, you want six of them? You want, you know, five plus a pro player? Like, we'll go after it. I mean, I could name names. You can look on MLB.com and their top 100. But, like, I just think about it from, like, a if I'm Washington – I want Soto on the other side of the league, number one. I don't want to ever see that guy again. And I want to go for the team who has, like, you know, enough money to pay the guy what he wants, but also, like, will return a ton of value for us. And I think the kicker in all of this is that even for the team that receives Soto through a massive deal, they could still, in the next two and a half years, resell Soto for whatever they want. So, like, if you are Seattle and you don't quite do the job, maybe in his last year you go out and you know you know trade him off, or you're St. Louis, you just you want to repile, you know, restockpile that that you know prospect depth. You go out and you do that. So there's a ton of optionality here. It's completely interesting. It's the most mind blowing thing I've ever seen sports from a trade perspective. But like. I can shut up now and just like, I'll just let you listen. I'll let you, I'll let you say what you have to say. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I, I agree. I, I love how you went all that. And I, I, I agree with like maybe, yeah, like probably a hundred percent of what you were saying there. I definitely think that it'd be interesting to see. Uh, Cause I, I think I was listening to John Heyman, I think talk about it um, about how, yeah, like Mike Rizzo, like he's a scout at heart. So he's very much about, get get the best available players get the young talent develop all that so that's where i definitely like if you know if i were to create like a perfect picture of things right for soto for all the stakeholders if you will all the teams involved um would be soto uh goes to the cardinals cardinals have it seems like the best most promising prospects uh out of all the teams that are involved um and then yeah like uh you know, maybe the Cardinals are like, yeah, we don't have enough payroll to help <laughs> to, you know, get him, keep Goldschmidt, keep uh, Ornado and, and everybody else, right? Um, after the after the end of the three years, right? So if that's the case. Then they sell off Soto, recoup some of their costs that they that they gave up for Soto, uh, but then they're still able to contend. So within these uh, these next two three years, right? So if that's the case, like that's you know, why not? If I'm the Cardinals, get that talent uh, uh, to to hit with uh, Goldschmidt and, and Arenado. You know, I think we were talking about, uh, I think it was maybe at the last podcast, we're like, yeah, they're going through a lot of injuries, a lot of different changes. And you know, having someone like Soto, that's a constant that, you know, will hit 20, 30 home runs at least, right? And, uh, you know, knocking some RBIs and also showboat a little bit too. We'll add a little bit of flair there. So, uh, if I'm the Cardinals, like I'll take that, uh, you know, I'll take that 99 times out of 100 for sure. So that's what I would think would probably be the best. Um, uh, but at the same time, though, I I, I do see it's like uh, long term for Soto. It's like he it seems like uh, just all, out of all the observations that we're seeing it's like, yeah, he wants to be like, I don't know, like a Dodger or a Yankee or or a Met or you know maybe the uh giants right so if if that's the case then uh 
you know, I don't know if they want to do some sort of trade deal or anything like that, but at the same time, I don't think he holds that many cards for them to like necessarily, if he wants to be traded, like there's no obligation for whatever team that is, you know, trading their prospects away to be like, yeah, we're just going to give you a $500 million contract over 10 years. Right. Um, There isn't as much incentive for that right now. So that's where it's like, if I'm the teams, uh, just be patient. Like, let Soto's contract play out as much as he can. Get that haul. See what you can get if things don't work out, whether it is Seattle or or the Cardinals. Because, yeah, if I'm, if I'm a small market team, uh, like, yeah, be in play. See what you can get if, if, if you can give some of your prospects away. Because well, I think the idea, yeah, if, if you're not contending uh, three years from now, uh, yeah, feel free to just uh, – uh, uh, let go of him or, or trade him away and get recoup some of your costs there. So I see this as like anybody can probably, I think that's what makes it so intriguing is that both the big market teams, you know, what, if you have prospects, if you maybe you don't have as many prospects, uh, you can possibly partake in this sweepstakes, if you will, for Juan Soto. Um, so it, it really is intriguing from both the, uh, the team management standpoint, and then also, you know, hey, where can Soto be, and how 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 does he fit in a roster? So, yeah, yeah. If you're not if you're not looking to reflip him, the only team that really makes sense to me, and I didn't even name them, is like the Los Angeles Dodgers because it's like it's it's hard because it's hard because in baseball, baseball isn't basketball. Baseball, it doesn't matter if you have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on the same roster together i mean that team has proven they can't win baseball games they can't be even wild card contenders i thought they would actually have contended for a wild card this year um and they're not even close and it's you know i like i love soto i I love soto i love vladimir guerrero i love jose ramirez um you know i like i love a lot of guys julio rodriguez as like a future prospect bryce harper but it's like it takes more than one stud. It takes more than two studs. I mean, it's like you want to have the depth. So, you know, the only teams that can really expend six top prospects or five or whatever it is in some, in some like current talent, it's like, there aren't a lot of teams that have that kind of roster flexibility and the kind of funds to back up and say, okay, now we've, now we've given up, you know, the mother load to this team. Now we actually have to think about after these two years, like, this guy's going to be 25 or 26 after his first contract ends. And he's like, you haven't even entered your prime, which is like, it's so mind blowing. It's like, this is like the LeBron James of bat of baseball right now, because yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting like all of his best years. So like, you're going to have to shell out some money to do that. So there just aren't a lot of teams that are willing to spend above the luxury tax. I mean, it's like the Yankees, maybe the Mets nowadays with their new owner, uh, Steve Cohen. And, uh, and with the Dodgers, but, uh, you know, even with the Mets, like they're a little bit flawed and, you know, um, they haven't really proven they can win even with the amount of money they spend. And, you know, they'd have to give a lot to, to get Soto to, to take them over the hump. And then for New York Yankees, it's weird because you're kind of in this Aaron judge limbo and it's like, you don't really know if, you know, Aaron judge is going to resign, but odds are they're not going to pay a judge, a Soto and a Stanton, and then still have a team around them after it's all said and done with Garrett Cole also on the book. So it's like, it really comes down to the Los Angeles Dodgers for me. If we're talking about a team that, you know, wants to buy and hold Soto for the long term, but like you were saying, 
it's anybody's ball game for the next two, you know, two and a half seasons. Yeah, yeah. I think like maybe the one dark horse would be like I don't know, like a team like the Pirates, uh, if if they're a small market team, right? Because they do have some young prospects and everything. But uh, you know, so that could be something. But I, I, I definitely would not be betting on it. But um, I do like the idea of the Dodgers. Uh, if there is a team out there that has the prospects and the capital and the coastal, you know, LA sunshine and everything, uh it would definitely be the Dodgers in, in terms of if they want to keep him. So, but I think that's just, yeah, again, like that's just what keeps us interesting is uh, small market teams that do have prospects. They can compete in this because yeah, they don't have necessarily have the idea that they they're going to keep him and sign him to a big contract uh, and, and just hold on to him that there is the possibility that they could flip him uh, for other prospects and, and build your, your, your farm system that way. So um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting, uh, I think, scenario for for everybody, and it's it's very exciting for me too as a as a little baseball nerd. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think outside of Soto, you know, what I'm thinking about because because okay, let's say you land Soto and you guys and your team's basically on the brink of getting into the playoffs, or you're like a division winner or whatever else. Like, unless you're one of the top top teams with like a dearth of talent. Soto would probably be that guy who gets you over the hump. But if like you're Seattle, you're St. Louis, you're on the margins. Like, I don't know if Soto is the kind of guy where you, even if you don't give up any like MLB roster talent, you know, yeah, you sacrifice your future, but like, is that going to carry Seattle to a world series victory this year? Like, or the next two years? I just don't know. It's like, it almost be nicer if, uh, he was a pitcher and he was 23 and he already had the track record and he was on the level of like, you know, a Garrett Cole or a Corbin Burns or Santi Alcantara for this year or Shane McClanahan. It's like, that would be a complete difference maker to know, like you're getting that for long term. And it, it almost brings up another point. It's like, I've heard Shohei Otani is actually in rumors with the Mets as well. So it's like, could you imagine landing a guy like Otani where you know, if you are a playoff club, he can pitch and he can hit the lights out of the ball like a Soto. Like it's, it's pretty remarkable, but uh, mm-hmm. just another guy to throw out there, but just another kind of thought is like, I love what he does 162 games a year. But if you're just looking at it from like trying to win a world series, like again, one player doesn't win a world series in the MLB, but you know, Soto would produce uh, to get you to that next level. Maybe. Could you imagine a an outfield with Soto and Julio Rodriguez? Like that is exciting, right? Yeah, <laughs> awesome. That is an outfield, I would say. That is an outfield. Just as a fan, like as a fan, I, I I would just I would just enjoy that, especially for a market like Seattle, who just needs to get in the playoffs and like reestablish that culture a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just reading some stats here. The highest OBP in modern era. Your age 23 season uh it's like ted fucking williams and then juan soto like okay yeah i, I thought i saw frank thomas like on a list or something i thought but no no that, that makes a lot of sense like yeah yeah like how about that so you know such a great awesome. young talent such a great young talent but yeah we'd love to see i'm just excited to see what happens in the next week right if if he does i don't know who knows what happens maybe just keep him and all of this is for naught but there's a lot of scenarios that this can play out so i'm definitely excited to see uh where he lands uh or if he just stays and 
uh, and just continues on. So I think know. he gets I think he gets moved based on Rizzo's track record. Like last year, uh, getting rid of Scherzer and Turner was like really head turning. But he like fell in love with Kybert Ruiz, which we'll see. I mean, like I think Kybert Ruiz is like a top six seven catcher maybe right now in the game but like he fell once he falls in love with like a certain prospect or set of prospects he like just does it and he did the same thing when he gave you know the white Sox uh giolito and uh dane dunning and we got one other oh ronaldo lopez and we gave up uh adam eaton but he was like quick to like make those decisions like hey we need adam eaton for you know our offense and they won a world series so like good for the nets but like yeah, Rizzo doesn't play around. Like, I feel like he's probably pretty offended because what's really, and, and this is like just taking a step back. Like, I live in Washington. Um, I've gone to a plenty of Nats games so far, and like, I've gotten a sense of like what their culture is. But like, it's really kind of sad because like Rizzo is a really good GM, and Nats have built up like a really nice culture here for like winning and being consistent. So, like, that's why that's a, like when I thought about the Soto saying like, well, I want to be on a winner. It's like, well, you won a world series already kid. Like, and you've got like, you know, an ownership is, you know, like changing up like the learner family out here is like trying to sell the the franchise or what have you. But it's just like, it was a little head scratching from like the winning perspective because, you know, Rizzo's put together like a series of really good baseball clubs, whether they just made the playoffs or like won it all. Um, I found that pretty head scratching, but I think the Nats, like even if they get rid of Soto and they completely go through the the crap for the next three, four years or whatever it is, like they'll find their way back because they have pretty competent management in place. Yeah. And it's like Rizzo seems like he has a really good relationship with the Dodgers and he likes the Dodgers <laughs> prospect. So yeah, you know, so maybe he does go that round and picks it again. And then basically the Dodgers are like, young prospects of uh the the Nats from like five years ago right with like yeah so maybe that is the route that they go uh we'll see if yeah if they want Diego uh Carteo right and, and everything there like get more uh like catchers uh, from their from their <laughs> I mean hey you know maybe that's one way to go I don't know it's the new uh, era of like dual catcher game like yeah I mean DHs <laughs> yeah I mean everybody's a DH now so yeah just get <laughs> Who can hit, who can catch, whatever. Just put them in there, right? So, uh, or flip them some more. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that is the way that they go. Just, it's like, hey, I already got those guys on speed dial. Might as well haul them up and, uh, you know, see if they can do something with the Dodgers. Because, uh, yeah, long term, it does make sense for, I guess, Soda to be on a team like the Dodgers. I think I mentioned that before. So, if that's the case, then it's like, all right, do that. And then don't don't worry about the flip, flipping him for some other prospects. Um, that could potentially make the most sense, I think, for him long for so- Soto particularly long term, and then yeah, have the Rizzo get a decent haul too at the same time. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he'll get his haul, and uh, you know, we'll see where Soto lands. Like, I I think mm-hmm. if he lands in a mid market, he's just gonna play out the next two and a half seasons on his contract, and then try like. Like you're saying, if he wants to go to a big flashy market, he'll get there. He'll find his way there. Um, yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely not a subtle guy. So that that <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing, right? It's like if he were like maybe more subtle or whatever, then sure, maybe he would fit perfectly well within St. Louis. But 
I think long term, yeah, I don't see Minnesota as a. I'm gonna stick here in St. Louis and and chill over here. I definitely see him a little bit more on, you know, just seeing his personality, like either like yeah, New York or or somewhere in Cali. So makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was a pretty good uh, rundown of different uh, topics, things we've been hearing in the news. I mean, love talking a little bit of baseball, especially we're in the current season. You know, looking forward to seeing what happens at the trade deadline. I don't know if you have any like last thoughts, like anything the the White Sox maybe could do at the trade deadline that would, you know, appeal to you or um, you know anything of that sort. Well, I was looking at. Oh, I'm thinking about maybe uh, you know see, seeing if I can get a Choco Taco real quick. Uh, I feel like, <laughs> I mean, that's like more timely. I feel like so it's like which one's going to happen first? Like the Choco Tacos are going to end, uh, you know, not being able to get it at any store. Or, you know, Soda gets traded to the Dodgers or whoever, right? Um, I think that is probably the more intriguing storyline for the moment. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know who the, the White Sox are, is on the radar for them necessarily. Uh, it, it is one of those things. It's like they're getting healthy, uh, all, like, great. And then, like, the White Sox just have all the talent in the world. So if they can just get healthy, focus, which it seems like they're kind of getting uh, – you know, getting uh, things together more so, right? So if they can just continue on what they were kind of doing right before the break, uh, great. You know, you can always put, you know, get more relief pitching. Uh, you know, maybe they can get a starter or something like that. We'll see. But, um, you know, I'd love to just see how everything's progresses. Uh, uh, hopefully, yeah. Uh, it seems like Tony Russo is like, okay, I think I get this team now again, like, like last year so uh hopefully hopefully things just progress but uh i want to just be, say be hopeful about things um but yeah you know maybe a left-handed at bat or some mm-hmm. thing or or you know if there is a nice starter out there i i haven't been paying attention too much on the starters but if there is another starter out there that we can get great you can never have too much pitching up and we definitely could use maybe a left-handed at bat is what i'm what i would think so yeah i'm almost like just going to echo what you said. I think just maybe getting a little bit more athletic, like if they, if they can bring over a left-handed bat, that can like play multiple positions or at least play the outfield, like competently or to like a higher level than what we have. Like, that'd be awesome. Cause you get to the playoffs. You don't want to have like Gavin sheets and Eli Jimenez and like Andrew Vaughn, like, like parading around the outfield. Like they're not outfielders, really, but like, that's one thing. And then, yeah, like you're saying, the health has been the biggest thing for us. Like, I think, the best case scenario for us right now is like, we just win the central and like, maybe this is a lost year. Like, you know, I don't want to like count out our chances or whatever else, like when we actually get into the tournament, but yeah, if we, if there's a way that we get like one more power arm, like I don't even care what it is, reliever starter, like that'd be helpful because, you know, with what we're looking at, like Kopech, they're probably going to like bring him back, like, you know, pulling the reins a little bit in the second half here. And like, I just think we need a little bit more support to like actually get us over the hump for the year. But again, like when we came into the year, I think we looked at the White Sox and we're always like, this team is good enough to contend and good enough to, you know, beat up on the rest of the guys in our division when we're healthy, but it's just been the health component of it. And I'll stick by it. Like I know other teams have had injuries, but um, the White Sox get healthy. They ride a little streak here Um, this week, start, you know, starting this week, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I, I I hope they um you know can at least lock up the central. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think so too. And you know, uh, Luis Robert, like, hopefully, you know, I think he just went on the ten day, right? So it's like, man, you know, just when things were were humming, right? It's like we 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 hit the setback. So, but uh, yeah, you know, next man up, got to play that route and and go that way. It's definitely less than ideal, but um, you know, again, if there if the White Sox are healthy. Uh, there's, I don't believe there's, there's a more talented team, you know, maybe apart from the Dodgers probably. So out there. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's cross our fingers. Um, but overall great episode. Um, I actually looked at the grocery store today for Chaco tacos. I was just going to buy a box. Like I was going to like buy the box, like take a picture and just remember it and then just enjoy every single taco. And they were, there was nothing at the grocery store today. So like, I wish you the best of luck. You remember when they try to take tink- Twinkies <laughs> away from us? Like it was like <laughs> Armageddon, right? No. Why did they do that? Like, it, like these are such great items. Like <laughs> we'll have to break down like why the Twinkie or Chaco taco are up on the, on the, on the chopping block for these companies. Cause <laughs> they're such great products, right? iconic like why are you yeah. doing this stuff? Yeah, yeah yeah so but um yeah but yeah i think we, hey with all that said yeah uh yeah go look out there on the choco taco uh sweepstakes and uh uh yeah this is the ball and breakfast podcast so